The New York Times recently named the South Bronx as one of the 52 places travelers should plan to visit in the coming year. Now, if you're hung up on memories of what the South Bronx was like in the 1970s and early 80s, when burned-out buildings and gangs dominated the area, that probably comes as a big surprise. But the South Bronx has come a long way over the years. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. The South Bronx is no longer burning. It's gentrifying. Take a walk around, and you'll discover trendy coffee shops, galleries, and boutiques. And if Bronx native Noel Santos gets your way, it will soon also have an independent bookstore. That after the Barnes & Noble in Co-op City, the borough's only bookstore, closed for good at the start of the new year. The name of our campaign is Let's Bring a Goddamn Bookstore to the Bronx. <laughs> Said like a true Bronxite. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> More on Santos's effort coming up. But first, public radio station WNYC is documenting the affordability crisis and changing neighborhoods across New York City. They're doing this one by one and kicked things off with Mott Haven in the South Bronx. Joining me now in the studio is WNYC associate producer Sophia Poliza Carr. Sophia, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. So start us off with an overview of this project. Sure. So as you mentioned, it's a project that's looking at affordability across New York City um, and changing neighborhoods. And we really wanted to do that on a granular level, uh, which meant kind of going into singular neighborhoods like Mott Haven and taking a look at what that means as the city gets more expensive, as rents are rising for the individual folks that live in those communities. So the project involves a producer being me sort of embedded in the neighborhood, um, which is a little bit unusual for us. Uh, I've spent for the last six months or so in Mott Haven. You were embedded in the Mott Haven Public Library. That's right. So we wanted to do that uh, specifically with different community organizations. And the Mott Haven Public Library um, is super connected to the community. The librarians know a lot of the folks that come in. It's a big resource for them as well. So what was that like to go to work every day at the Mott Haven Public Library? Um, it was great. I mean, honestly, I think public libraries are one of the most underutilized resources um, in big cities like these. Um, they provide all kind of workshops and, and training and, um, you know, after school activities for the community. It also is a is one of the few resources for people in the community to come in and uh, check out reference books, textbooks, uh, access Wi-Fi, use the computers. And so that, I think, was, was great for me to sort of um, talk to a bunch of people that we might not have been able to talk to in general. So how did it work? Did you sit there at a desk with a sign, come talk to me? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Um, you know, the library was really a home base for me to do reporting. Um, we did want to get out there and talk to different folks. Um, so I would often, you know, come in, set up, uh, do a little work, go out into the neighborhood report. But I did also have office hours, so to speak, where I would sit and have a sign and it would say, you know, what's changing in your neighborhood? Come talk to me about it. Or we'd have a specific question based on what was happening that week. I think for Thanksgiving, we had something like, what's your food tradition uh, in your family? And, and just, just to spark the conversation. And, and sometimes I would record that and that would be a way for us to kind of, you know, just get at different voices, get at different stories in the mm -hmm. neighborhood. What inspired Mott Haven? Why start there? So this is a project where we're going to be going to several different neighborhoods. Um, we wanted to start in Mott Haven, um, well, mostly because it's uh, it's one of those areas across New York City that is changing the most rapidly. Um, it's a very high poverty area. It has some of the densest public housing in the Bronx. Um, but it's also seeing a lot of gentrification very quickly. Uh, the waterfront especially is... Um, is very contentious at the moment. There are activists working to to develop and renovate the waterfront. It's an industrial area. Uh, but there are also developers coming in who want to build 
25 floor residential luxury towers. And that's very much in contrast to to the poverty that's just a few blocks away. So I want to play our latest story right now. It's um, it sort of gives you uh, an understanding of what happened along the South Bronx waterfront in the past and how that's affecting the future now as developers are coming in. And it's a story that's reported by uh, uh, WNYC reporter Sarah Barrett. Ed Garcia Conde is locally famous for his blog, Welcome to the Bronx. Do you mind if I take a picture? I take a picture of a lot of... If anything's happening in his neighborhood, he'll definitely be documenting it. While walking along the waterfront, he's describing what life is like in Mott Haven. There was a lot of locals who lived here, became very quaint. This was an area that was, uh... I can't. I'm just... He interrupts himself mid-sentence to point out some men in suits. He's taking pictures. I mean, he might be doing a listing. You see that all the time. He's talking about real estate developers. This is literally an invasion. People think that we're being dramatic when we say that, but you can see it yourself. And they're here because they see an area that's primed for development. Waterfront properties right across the river from Manhattan rezoned for residential housing. All developers have to do is clean up the river's edge. Because for years, this area has literally been the city's dumping ground. Almost a third of the city's garbage comes through here. You can smell how horrible it is. That water sitting there, that is all water that leaks from the trucks that come by. This actually permeates through the neighborhood on certain days when it's really warm and humid. It stretches around. Garcia Conde wants the waterfront cleaned up, but he's angry at how it's happening. People in the community have been drawing up visions of what they want the waterfront to look like for decades, but they've been ignored. Now, developers are coming in, building luxury units, and he's worried it will push out low-income residents. And it's happening because of plans made over a decade ago by former mayor Michael Bloomberg. This year, an extraordinary range of projects will leap off the drawing boards, creating jobs, revitalizing the waterfront, and bringing new life to communities in every borough. It was part of a bigger plan already in place from a couple years earlier to clean up what Bloomberg called the sixth borough. 500 miles of New York City waterfront. He wanted public esplanades to encircle the city, and he wanted private developers to pay for it. He planned to do it by rezoning industrial neighborhoods along the waterfront to allow for residential housing. And you can see the results in Williamsburg, Long Island City, Brooklyn Bridge Park. And now it's happening in Mott Haven. Keith Rubenstein is one developer ready to break ground on a small slice of the South Bronx waterfront on both sides of the 3rd Avenue Bridge. Six buildings of different shapes, uh, sizes, in my opinion, beautifully done um, with nice apartments and amenities. He's doing exactly what the city envisioned. We're taking industrial property that was highly populated with truck and bus traffic and moving that out taking those buildings down, creating new buildings with open space and access for the public to the waterfront. The zoning requires him to build public space, but one thing it doesn't require is affordable housing. He's building about a 1,000 units, all market rate, and Rubenstein understands that it's creating anxieties in the neighborhood about gentrification. We think we're creating something nice for a lot of people. Not everybody, I get it. I can't solve all the problems, but I can think about problems and I can think of a way how to develop that is responsible and as best as I can avoid situations where we hurt people. Tom Ngadi, a professor of urban studies at Hunter College, says it isn't developers like Rubenstein that are the problem. It's the city's policies and they have much bigger consequences. We looked at the rezonings over the last 15 years, and you see a pattern. 
the areas that are rezoned for new development do tend to be communities of color, low-income communities, and the areas that have been protected by zoning tend to be white homeowner areas. He says the city's plans have always been piecemeal and short-sighted. The city of New York has really never had a comprehensive plan, a land-use plan, a long-term plan. Zoning is not the same as planning. It doesn't necessarily presume a broader vision of the future of the city. The de Blasio administration is trying to solve this by creating a citywide program that could lead to more affordable housing. But for Mott Haven, it might already be too late. The city teed up the South Bronx waterfront for development a decade ago. And now the neighborhood is watching while developers break ground. So how cognizant are the local residents of this change and what are they saying about it? Well, I think there's um, definitely kind of a mixed response. Um, There are definitely community organizations in the area uh, like South Bronx Unite um, who are actively working to to make sure that development happens in a way that's positive for the community. So South Bronx Unite, for example, um, they're one of the folks who's hoping to make sure that the waterfront uh, gets developed in a way that's accessible to the public. And they're not necessarily sure that's going to happen if private developers come in um, and have have priority to that land. Um, one of the folks who is a, a co-founder of South Bronx Unite is Michael Johnson. He's an environmental activist. And we've been talking with him for a few of our stories. And um, I have a short clip from him talking about um, the or- just the, the sense of community um, organizing in opposition to uh, to change happening that wouldn't be positive for the neighborhood. Who doesn't know the South Bronx is suffering? But you don't see a lot of help coming. You don't see the fire truck to this three-alarm fire that's going off right now with environmental, social, and economic issues that are facing our community. So the community can't expect anyone to do it but themselves. So what we're doing is trying to rise to the call and create the change we're looking for, be our own change. So that's one aspect of the conversations that we're hearing. Um, But to some extent, um, a lot of the concerns of people there revolve around uh, the economy, around getting a job, around being formally incarcerated and and trying to find a job in the area, um, and also housing. I think those are the two biggest things that that I hear the most from is not necessarily – they want to see some change happen. They want to see there's a new hotel coming up, the new Comfort Inn that's being built. And for some people, that means, oh, hey, maybe I could get a job there, Um, and that that would mean some stability in their lives. Mm -hmm. But as you said, there's fear because some people have spent time – in jail and they're concerned that they won't get these local jobs. Exactly. So one of the folks that um, we actually, one of the ways that we are recording voices from the community is by using um, this custom payphone, which is called the WNYC Talk Box. And it looks like a payphone, but it's actually a voice recorder. And so what we've done um, partially in this kind of residency is take this talk box and put it in different community spaces around um, Mott Haven. And one of that one of those spaces has been the public library. Um, And one of the people who picked up the phone and spoke to us on that phone was was Damien. And Damien told us a little bit about what it's like to come out of prison, have a record and struggle really to find a job. I spoke to him separately as well. And um, he just felt I think he had a very... um, negative feeling uh, about that experience that's been taking him a long time. We're not given the opportunity to work these jobs because some of us have uh, records of doing things when, you know, when we were at our, at our, at our worst. And like I said, over the years, the, the things are starting to get more expensive and it's going to get more difficult for people. Me, for instance, I, I'm a father of 10 and, and I have two grandkids. 
uh, it's hard for me sometimes, but we still try our best as much as we could. So there's one voice from Mod Haven. Who else makes up this neighborhood? Sure. So um, it's a neighborhood uh, that has historically been disinvested in. I think it's hard to divorce the history of the South Bronx uh, in the 1970s uh, from what's happening right now. And a lot of those folks are still angry about um, that lack of interest from the rest of the city. Um, But there's also some new people coming in. So there are some of those millennials and artists I I spoke about, um, some young in their 20s, trying to find space where they can open a gallery um, or where they can work in affordable spaces, Um, but also immigrants. Um, The area is is predominantly Latino, 70% or so. Um, And also there's been a recent influx of West African immigrants as well. Is there a concern about a Trump presidency with all of these immigrants in this neighborhood? Well, I have to say I did spend some time there on Election Day and uh, the day surrounding that. And I think that um, there is definite um, just from having just anecdotally from having talked to people on the street. I I do think the immigrant community is starting to organize a little bit in that area. I've talked to folks who are are hoping to host Know Your Rights workshops in response. Um, But surprisingly, there are also some business owners who feel hopeful about the new presidency because they're small businesses. um, They're trying to grow and they think that um, a Trump presidency could really help them. You talked about the involvement of the advocacy groups. But overall, is there a strong sense of community in Mott Haven? I mean, that's hard for me to answer, I think. Um, I, I think that it's a very, in a sense, it can be a very small community. It's, you know physically not a very large area. Um, A lot of the folks have been there for a long time. And so I think a lot of those folks who are at the community board meetings, who are organizing, um, you know, there's a there's a restaurant called La Morada, which is a Oaxacan Mexican restaurant that is not only sort of a, a place for, you know, authentic Oaxacan food, but is also a community space. And you see folks um, you know, who come in and talk to the family, um, come in and say hi, they come in with their babies, and um, they know each other. And so I do think there is that sense of community there in certain spaces, for sure. You reference the Bronx of the past, and of course, the Bronx is burning in the 1970s and the early 80s. And the South Bronx has long had this reputation as being a tough place to live. Do you get that sense from the people who live there, that this is still a tough place to live? I think yes, quite simply. Um, like I mentioned, it's it's one of the poorest congressional districts in the United States. Um, and, uh, you know, the New York Times is currently doing a series about uh, essentially each homicide that happens in the South Bronx that has happened in the last year. Crime is something that I hear a lot about from folks. Um, they're, they don't feel secure. I talked to one mother who was worried, worried, very worried about her daughter going out alone, had even kind of taught her how to use perfume to, as, as a form of pepper spray to kind of evade, never be in an elevator alone. And I think that to some extent, even though, uh, there has been, things are a lot better in a lot of ways from the 1970s. There's still a lot of concern about, you know, what will happen in the future. How will, how will the area, how will, you know, the change raise all boats and especially what that means for long-term residents not just uh, unfortunately what you see is uh there's almost a a distinct distinct dividing line between those who are moving in and those who have been there for a long time Uh, the waterfront is kind of cut off from the rest of the community by a highway so sort of you walk under this underpass and you're suddenly on this waterfront that has art galleries and um and uh, like beautiful coffee shops one coffee shop 
uh, a nice pizza place, uh, a bar and grill, and that's feels somewhat of a world away, even though it's just a couple blocks away from where everyone else lives. Who's going to those establishments? Is it largely the newcomers, or do you have longtime local residents also now frequenting those new places? Well, like I mentioned, they do feel to some extent cut off uh, from the rest of the community. When I talk to folks who live nearby but on the other side of the highway, they tell me they don't go there. I have met longtime residents, though, who live there, and I think there is also a movement of folks who are wanting to move back to the South Bronx and wanting to... um, now that things are developing, uh, to move back to where they came from and, and maybe contribute in some way. Um, I've talked to a few people like that. One of them is uh, this woman, Diana Hernandez. She doesn't live along the waterfront, uh, but she is a Columbia professor. She grew up in the South Bronx. She grew up in Section 8 housing. And now she's back and she studies public health and housing. And, and she's actually a, a small-scale real estate developer. She's she's bought uh, three buildings now and renovated them um, and, and trying to rent them to people in the community and longtime residents. So there's also, I think, um, that can of people who um, want to come back to their neighborhood now that it's becoming more and more easy to live in. My living in the Bronx is also a response to having lived in places where I didn't feel welcomed and I didn't feel loved. That's a big deal for me. I, I haven't worked this hard to come home and have anonymous letters that I have to or spit on my door. I don't want to live like that. So I live in a high-poverty neighborhood where I know my neighbors and they love me. You mentioned that she is involved in real estate. How many people are moving in just for the opportunity? They see that they can buy low and either sell high or rent high. Yeah, so we we did do a story about um, sort of the speculation in the area. There's a beautiful historic district in Mott Haven along Alexander Avenue, and some of those houses there are over 100 years old. And um, those folks get tons of flyers and tons of knocks on their doors asking, are you willing to sell? We're willing to buy your house for cash. And some of them have. And unfortunately, um, a lot of that, some some of that has kind of, we've heard stories of that being speculation, of things just being turned right over. There's a townhouse for sale currently on Alexander Avenue for $1.2 million. Um, and I, the last time I checked, that hadn't sold yet. But that's sort of the prices that people at this point are kind of willing um, to, to post because they think at, in the near future, someone will be willing to pay that much. For those people who are afraid of being priced out, do they talk to you about where they might go? Yeah, so um, I, I have met many people who are afraid of being priced out. I've met a few who are actually already priced out um, and who uh, are wanting to come back, wanting to live in this neighborhood, uh, but are struggling to do so, even though this is where their community is. Uh, there's one woman, Mariana Mahia, who I spoke to. Um, you know, she had a new baby. Uh, she, you know, was starting a family with her husband and she just needed more space and they couldn't afford their apartment in Mott Haven anymore. So they, uh, they moved to Soundview. So a lot of people are just moving a little bit further into the Bronx, uh, for now. But even she was saying, I, I want to come back and I, if I can, I, I, I want to make, and she was hanging out in Mott Haven when I met her. So her community and her network are there. We just recently moved out of Mott Haven in March due to the increase of rent and so we've been trying to move back but it's been hard and I think it's crazy because a lot of people you know really need a home place to call home especially having kids cram a family into a room is very hard I see a lot of restaurants popping up stores popping up and if this keeps going on well I think there's going to be a lot of families that won't be able to find a place to live What's the transportation infrastructure like there? How easy is it for people to live in Mott Haven and get around the city? 
Well, I think that's one of the um, sort of indicators as well of gentrification or of the um, sort of a flash being it being a neighborhood uh, that is a flashpoint for change is that the six train is right there. um, And for folks who are on the Upper East Side, it's really just one stop away, two stops away from Manhattan, um, and not that many stops away from uh, from Midtown or the financial district. There's also there's uh, there's access from various trains trains along uh, Grand Concourse, and there's also the six train. Um, so it's relatively accessible. What about the local politicians who represent this area? Have you spent time talking with them? I have not spent a ton of time talking with them, to be honest. Um, right now, uh, the people we see most. Uh, in the news or are most talking about development in the area are the borough president, Ruben Diaz, and the speaker, uh, Melissa Mark Viverito. Um, and I have not personally sat down with them. Um, some of our reporters have, so I can't really speak to that too much. Um, but there's certainly people that um, folks in the neighborhood know and um, are often reading about what they're saying about development. So where are you off to next? So I'm not sure I can truly say yet. We're uh, deliberating a little bit about that. I can say we're looking at a couple different neighborhoods. Uh, You know, we're looking maybe at Flushing and Queens, at um, the North Shore and Staten Island. Uh, You know, there are a lot of neighborhoods. I mean, all of New York City is experiencing change. um, But we want to kind of highlight different ways that neighborhoods are changing um, as as housing gets more and more expensive and as um, other things also become less affordable. Let me ask you this question as a journalist. So when you cover a neighborhood like this, when you tell these kinds of stories, at the end of the day, what are you hoping comes of a project like this? Um, I think I, I think my hope is also is is always to kind of create a two way window. Um, I want to create a window into uh, a neighborhood. You know, many folks that I've talked to not in Mont Haven had not heard of Mont Haven. Um, as a, they had just heard of the South Bronx in general. So I think like that that lens allows us to say, hey, like here's this community of people doing things. Um, you know, let's let's take a closer look at them. Um, let's let's create a space for the voices, even if it's not, you know, a breaking story at the moment. It, it kind of carves out that space for us as, as journalists who are constantly worried about what's what's happening immediately. I also think it it helps to be talking about these things on a hyper local level. Um, because people can get involved in understanding gentrification better. People can go to their community board meetings. Uh, and we want to kind of provide that information in general for folks out there. There's a lot of inf- misinformation about housing and real estate in New York City. And so I, I think this kind of works two ways. And that's kind of my hope is that we both get information out there and we also let people into a community they might not have been able to go into uh, otherwise. And I think what we're striving to do with this series as well is to highlight solutions um, and are people just sort of working in a way to um, to continue to make New York City affordable for them and for their community? Um, because I think so many of these narratives can be very depressing or uh, feel frustrating. I think that was that's the thing that we're still striving to do is is find those folks who are trying to make a difference either on their own or uh, with a group and, and highlight those stories so that other folks can maybe get ideas about what could be done and, and how people can work together. And this project is online as Mott Haven Speaks on the WNYC website, right? Yes. So it's uh, wnyc.org slash Mott Haven. 
And uh, Monhaven Speaks is actually sort of the reporter's notebook that I just keep. Uh, It's uh, various different blog posts and things about what we've been doing. Uh, It links out to various stories as well. We actually don't have an official name for the project yet, uh, but that is a place where you can find many of our stories. Sophia, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, George. Sophia Poliza Carr is an associate producer at WNYC. At the start of the new year, the Bronx lost its one and only bookstore, the Barnes & Noble in Co-op City. But native Bronxite Noel Santos is hoping to be part of the change in the South Bronx by opening an independent bookstore there. Noel joins me now on the phone. Noel, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. So more than a million people in the Bronx and now not a single bookstore, right? No bookstore. We have over 1.4 million people in the Bronx and 10 colleges and no bookstore. It's, it's crazy. You want to change that? Yes, I want to change that. I was outraged when there was only one bookstore. I've been working on this for two years. So what's your mission? So my mission is to, one, cure our book desert here in the Bronx. And um, then, you know, it goes beyond that. You know, I want to serve as, as an example that residents of Bronx, of the Bronx and other urban areas, um, you know, we can stay and develop it ourselves. You know, once, you know, I'm calling out all the local and urban entrepreneurs that, you know, First thing we do when we get our education is we get out the hood, quote unquote. But I want to, um, you know, promote for us, by us business models and developing our own communities. What are among the biggest challenges for you in opening an independent bookstore in the Bronx? Oh, wow. So I have the support of the community like 100 percent, even some of the most unlikely supporters. Um, So I can't say that I faced so many challenges before the press and the media um, caught on to my project. Um, the biggest challenge was finding a space. Um, in the South Bronx, we're you know, going through a period of gentrification, we're seeing a more affluent demographic moving in, and like overnight the property values just like skyrocketed. So as an independent bookseller, you know, we, you know, we have to keep our, you know, we have to keep our costs down, um, any, any small business, but particularly you know, this industry that's so volatile. And, um, you know, finding a space has been um, so, so hard. But since the, you know, the media um, has stepped up to support us, now we have, like, spaces lined up. So what's the plan? Where do you hope to open then? So I hope to open in the Hunts Point um, section of the Bronx. It's the South Bronx. It's close to where I live. Um, I know that I know the area really well. It's rich in public transportation. And um, you can get there from, like, Anywhere in the Bronx, you know, we have a few highways, um, you know, lots of buses and trains. And the Metro North um, is coming there in, I think, 2021 or 22. So um, there's a lot going on, and we're going to be right in the heart of um, where people are migrating to. And we want them, we're going to give them, you know, a taste of Bronx culture. (laughs) Now, this wouldn't be an ordinary bookstore. This would be one part bookstore, one part wine bar, right? Yes. So it's called the Lit Bar because um, it, it kind of has double meaning, like lit, like literature and then lit, like, you know, like being tipsy. And um, so we're going to serve books um, and wine and Bronx Pride. Um, and, you know, I, I want this to become a, um, a, social, a social gathering place, you know, a third space, um, 
you know, this your first place being your your home, your second place being your workplace, and your third place being uh, a community center, or in this case, the lit bar. So, is serving wine also a way to stay viable in a world when you're facing competition from ebooks and online retailers? Absolutely. So, the profit margins on the wine and even some of our sideline items, which are like gift items, um, you know, those allow us to be a more sustainable business. And, um, you know, we don't want to meet the same fate as a lot of um, indie booksellers. Um, not to say that everyone needs to sell wine or, you know, get into, you know, the alcohol business, but you do have to be creative, you know, when you're opening a small business, especially a brick and mortar. And this was just my way. This is what I do when I'm home. I, I love to read a good book and have a glass, nice glass of wine. And apparently many others do, too. Now, I understand you've launched a crowdfunding effort to help raise money for this project. Yes, the crowdfunding campaign launched on January 17th. So in a perfect world, when will the Lit Bar open? In a perfect world, the Lit Bar will be open in summer 2017. All right, fingers crossed for you, Noel. Thank you so much. (laughs) And what is your crowdfunding website for people who want to go on board and help support this effort? It will be www dot indiegogo.com forward slash the lit bar the name of our campaign is let's bring a goddamn bookstore to the bronx (laughs) said like a true bronxite yep (laughs) noel thanks so much thank you have a good one Noel Santos blogs at firstnoel.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Remember, you can always get past editions of the show online at wfuv.org slash cityscape or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I'm George Bodarki. Thanks so much for listening. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here. Thank you.